Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Hillsong. It's good to see you. How you guys doing? You doing well? So honored to be here. You have a you got an incredible church, incredible worship team. Hey, I was just sitting down there worshiping and uh, just kind of felt this in my heart. Um, and this next season, God's going to grace you just melodies, just to write melodies and to, to sit with it, to talk about it, to pray through it, to get creative and innovative with it and just let those things rise up inside of you. And, and I'll be sitting anxiously awaiting in Cleveland, Ohio, the melodies that come out of Hillsong, Kansas City. So well done. Kudos to you guys. Thank you for leading us so well. Uh, before you're seated, I, I just want to just brag on your pastors for just uh, just a minute. I, I love pastors Kyle and Liz and who they are, uh, not just what they build, not just what they do, but the people that they are. When we when we launched King's Church, uh, it'll be five years ago in September, in the beginning stages, you have no idea what you're doing. Actually, I still don't know what I'm doing five years in. But uh, in the beginning, you're, you're trying to just get momentum, and I'm sending letters out to raise support, and uh, Pastor Kyle was one of the first ones to send a check and to just say, hey, we believe in you. We love you. It was the best $20 I've ever got. I'm just kidding. It was more generous than that, way more generous than that. But he was one of the first ones. And, and it's funny because in that season, when you're looking for any bit of encouragement, that people believe in you. We didn't even have a relationship at that time, but just to just to, hey, keep going, it really inspired us. And then when I was driving around in Cleveland before we launched, I'm not uh, an emotional person, which is a challenge in my marriage I'm working through right now, but I'm not, I don't tend to be like overly emotional, but I remember driving through my city from east to west, just praying over it and just saying, God, would you do something great? Where should we even start at? Just knew we were called to Cleveland didn't know where to start. And I just happened to be listening to a podcast from an art conference where your wife was preaching. I don't know if it was one of those like seven minutes of fire or whatever they, they did, but she, she was preaching and she started talking about our generation and a spirit of humility and honor and just trusting and believing God. And I'm driving through Cleveland with my windows down, just crying just crying as I'm listening to her preach. And it's before we launched and just, just saying, God, I want that spirit for our church. I want this to, to mark us and be a fingerprint on who we are. So your pastors have spoken into the beginning of our church and we're incredibly grateful. I love you so much. I'm proud of you. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. Why don't you uh, find two or three people you haven't said hello to, your second choice that you didn't want to say hi to the first time. Let them know you're happy to see them in church. You can be seated. Tell them they look good. They've never looked better on a Sunday. Well, as you've heard, I come from Cleveland, Ohio. My wife, Stephanie, we have three kids, Sunday, Bear, and Paisley. All say Hello and send their love to you. And uh, we have baptisms at our church today. So I've been getting reports and just excited about what, what God is doing. And going through a year like 2020, you wonder, is God doing anything? You know, And uh, so days like today to see you, to be with you, and then just see God moving and transforming lives is always so encouraging and, and so life-giving. Um, I love the songs that we sang today because they talk so much about the idea of our hearts being abandoned to God 
to wanting to have an encounter with God, for, for heaven to touch earth. And I didn't know the songs that we were gonna be singing today, but I did really just get this sense this week praying over our time together or this kind of just phrase just kept resonating over and over again in my heart from God that I wanna meet and be with my people. I just wanna meet and be with my people. And we're in a uh, unique space in Cleveland and we have a lot of young people that are coming to church that are exploring faith. They have a lot of doubts, a lot of skepticism, or maybe they're coming back to faith for the first time. And, and one of the, the emphasis that we try to, to really push is to create space to wrestle with those doubts, but then to lead them to experiences and encounters with God. Not all the right answers, not just all the clever sayings, but to have moments where God has really met with them and really had a moment and an experience with them. And I just really believe that this weekend, hopefully what we'll go over today is beneficial. It's practical. We're gonna lay some real good groundwork so that you can't walk away this morning thinking that guy was okay, but he didn't really give me anything that I could apply to my life. That will not be able to be said today. And I believe that as you grab a hold of it, you and I can really see in this next season as we're looking forward to brighter days, to actually having encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to two portions of scripture, Psalm 127, Matthew 11, then I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna jump right in. So in Psalm 127, beginning in verse one and going into verse two, it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And in vain you, ra- you rise early and stay up late and toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. Matthew eleven twenty eight, famous saying of Jesus, a teaching portion. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. I love uh, God's way of doing things because he wants to focus on the internal. Usually when I pray, I'm like, God, fix this. Like fix the external, fix my boss, fix my wife, fix my kids, fix my finances. And, And I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things to pray, but God's response oftentimes is, yeah, but I have to fix what's going on inside of you first. That God always focuses on the soul. And when I can get the soul, then I can get rest. Because God knows that even if I fix the external, if the internal isn't aligned properly and healthy, that you'll end up right back in this same place. So Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. You're gonna find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. I, I wanna talk to you for just a few moments from this subject, the burden of busyness, the burden of of busyness. And as we navigate through some really kind of natural means and natural and practical applications of, of rest and margin and wrestling with the tension of busyness in our life, I just really believe that the Holy Spirit's going to breathe on this and that today we can grab a hold of something that creates space for us to meet with God in the season to come. So let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we're here. We've opened up your word. God, let this not be an ordinary Sunday. We don't believe in ordinary Sundays. We've come to meet with you. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher, our leader, our guide. Teach us, lead us, and guide us into the truth of your word. We thank you for it. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The burden of busyness. It was, uh, it was about 10 and a half years ago. We had our first daughter, uh, Paisley, and she's 11 now. So about 10 and a half years ago, she's about five months old. And uh, I'm a new dad. 
So I'm new to this whole thing and uh, way more cautious and concerned and just fearful that I'm gonna screw something up. And I can remember it was a summer day. And I remember this because there was no clouds in the sky and the sun was shining and that's a rarity in Ohio. So while I'm there, it's a nice day. And I look out the window and I see, I see the mail truck drive up. My wife's away for a couple hours and it's one of my first times being alone as a dad with my daughter in these first couple of months. She's five months old, so she's just able to sit up just enough if you place her, but if she teeters, she's coming down, baby. And I remember thinking, I can run to the mail and get it and be back in like 10 seconds and she'll be fine. She's got a pack and play here, plenty of toys, stuffed animals. So I set her in the pack and play and she's sitting up. I'm like, you good? She's like, I'm good, dad. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. And so I run out the garage and I go down to the mailbox and I'm like timing myself. Like I'm training for the Olympics. Like how fast can I get back in? And I, I run up to the door that I just walked out and I grab the handle and I, and I can't open it. It's locked. And panic ensues in my soul. Like I'm like going to the worst pot. The house is going to burn down. Aliens are going to abduct my daughter. I'm not there. Uh, Child Protective Services is going to be called on me by my neighbors are all watching me right now fail as a dad. My wife's going to be home maybe any moment. And she's going to be like, I can't believe I can't leave you alone for just a little bit. You're locking our daughter at five months old in the house. And, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, I run back to all the, the front door. That's locked. And I go to the patio and that's locked, but I can see inside the glass door. And I see my daughter sitting in there and she's having the time of her life in this pack and play. She's fine. She doesn't even notice that I'm gone. But then all of a sudden, as I'm looking, I'm watching her and I'm thinking, what can I do? And I'm like, oh, there's a cop that lives across the street. I could go to him and say like, you probably know some police officer moves. Can you get me in my house? And here's $20 to not report me, you know, like whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden, as I'm watching, I'm thinking she starts to fall over and she falls over in her pack and play. And that's when all hell breaks loose. I'm like, I have to get in there as fast as I can. So I run to the garage entry and it's like the television crew from Cops was following me. And I go back and with every bit of my 95 pound frame, I kick that door as hard as I can. Two or three kicks for that door and it opens up and I go in and I rescue my daughter from her pack and play. I then later have to explain to my wife why the door is dented in, the jam is broken, but that's another sermon in and of itself. I wasn't really concerned about my daughter leaning over. She would be fine. And, and I wasn't really even concerned about the structure of the pack and play giving way and one of the, lo- the legs falling out. Or, that was fine. What I was, what I was concerned with when I was watching her start to tip over was there was just so much stuff in it. There was just so much stuff in the pack and play. I don't know how, there was too many toys and there was too many stuffed animals. And in my head, I kept thinking, she's gonna lean over into a stuffed animal and not be able to breathe. And there's just so much in there. I need to pull her out of the busyness of her pack and play. Have you ever felt like you pack and play? You've been given the structure of life, but when you step back, you just feel like there's just too much stuff in life. It's hard. To even catch your like breath. I'm trying sometimes. to figure this out. Like I'm Work is crazy. Relationships out. are crazy. Entertainment is all over the place. Social media is taking my time. Stress, anxiety, fear is all just, it's just so much stuff that it's hard for me to feel like I can actually have any space or margin or, or breathe at all. 
No, we're in an interesting time where we're coming out of the pandemic and we're trying to, and we use this phrase a lot, and I get it, go back to normal or find some level of normalcy. And as much as I am like, yes and amen, there is a question that needs to be asked as well as, was normal actually working that great? Like we forget because the pandemic was so traumatic and so insane and so extreme that we're like, we just want to get back to the way things were. But my question is, if we could erase 2020 for a moment and go back to the way things were, were they really going that good? How were your weeks? How were your relationships? How was school? How was your mental and emotional and spiritual health? How was it? Did it maybe feel like there was too much stuff? There was just so much going on in life. And here's what I'm learning about God is that God does not force his way into our lives. God fills the spaces that we create for him. And I'm guilty before I point this at anybody else. I've been guilty over years of my life of filling my life with so much stuff and then wondering, where are you at, God? How come you're not speaking to me? How come I don't sense your Holy Spirit? If Jesus says in John 14, it's better for me to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and be with you, it doesn't feel that great. I don't sense him. I don't know him. I'm not, I'm not seeing his leading. I'm not getting answers. My, 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 my marriage is suffering and I'm not being a great dad and am I being a great friend or, or great for me, a great pastor or, or even what's going on in my own heart, my mind, my thoughts. Like, where are you? And I feel like sometimes God has to answer me over these past several years of, I'm exactly where you make space for me. And if you don't make space for me, Noah, I'm not there. Now we know theologically, give me some nuance, God is everywhere at all times. But I am saying that God, again, does not force, he fills. And if I and you don't create and live a life that creates space for the Holy Spirit to speak and to lead, and to refresh, and to heal, and to guide us, we shouldn't really expect it. Sometimes the stuff of life can crowd out the voice of the Holy Spirit. There was an article, a couple of them that were written over the past few years. One of them was in the Stanford Business, and the headline read, the workplace is killing people and nobody cares. And it was written by a professor at Stanford where he actually connects that many of the healthcare issues we have are due to stress and the way that we work. Remember, pre-pandemic, we were already going in a way at a pace of life that so many of us felt the burden of that this is an opportunity coming out of this, especially coming out of it as well and saying, I want to have good emotional health and soul health and spiritual health and relational health and believing for brighter days. I can't do all of that doing things the way I did. I want to make sure I'm thinking clearly and differently about this. And we can see this even culturally through what's happened over the past couple of years. The New York Times followed up with an article that said, why are young people pretending to love work? I saw the greatest minds of my generation log 18-hour days and then boast about hashtag hustle on Instagram. When did performative workaholism become a lifestyle, the author asks. In his article, he actually says, perhaps we've all gotten a little hungry for meaning. Participation in organized religion is falling, especially among American millennials. In San Francisco, where I live, I've noticed the concept of productivity has taken on an almost spiritual dimension. 
techies here have internalized the idea rooted in the Protestant work ethic that work is not something you do to get what you want. The work itself is all. Therefore, any life hack or company perk that optimizes their day, allowing them to fit in even more work is not just desirable, but it's inherently good. Derek Thompson wrote in The Atlantic, an opinion piece that workism is making Americans miserable. And in a section of that write-up, he has a headline called The Gospel of Work, where he says, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and others worship their children, but everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism, he asks? It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose, and the belief that any policy that promotes human welfare must always encourage more work. Under that header, the gospel of work, he uses the words identity and purpose, two highly spiritual terms. See, we've dealt with this and we don't have time to get into it, but in the industrial revolution, it kicked off a way of life, especially in the West amongst Americans, at the pace and the speed and what we consider to be success in how we live our lives, trying to do as much as we can do to find meaning, to find enjoyment, to find purpose, to satisfy as many desires as we have, whether that's uh, achieving great success within work or within school, whether it's having as many relationships as we can have, whether it's experiencing as much just natural things that we can experience. We live in a system that actually promotes and facilitates exhaustion, and we don't even know it because we've been raised in this culturally in this moment. And, and here's what I think, and in the pandemic, we know that God can work all things for good, even things that aren't from him. But, but I do think, and my prayer is that, that there is a divine reset moment coming out of this before we're so urgent to get back to the way things were that we say, what needs to change about the way things were coming into this next season so that I can have a deeper and more intimate walk with God? Wayne Muller, who's a, a therapist and an author and a writer, he says that our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, we do not rest. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born of effortless delight poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. And yet the words of Jesus in Matthew echo, are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you overwhelmed in life? Go log more hours at work. Go pick up another hobby. Go out again on a Thursday night. Watch another six episodes of that Netflix show. No, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Create space for me. Walk with me in rhythm. Go at my pace. The peace of God always follows the pace of God. And I love when Jesus shows up to his disciples over and over again in the gospels. The two words he says are, follow me. 
And that's, that's challenging because when he says, follow me, it's within a framework of how he walks. And, and if I can be honest, I get guilty of being way ahead of Jesus sometimes in my life. Or sometimes I find myself way behind him. Or other times in my life, I'm way off to the side. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm not sure he even knows where I'm at. But when he says, follow me, he says, keep in step with me. Keep close to me. Go the speed that I go at. Stop, enjoy, rest, delight. Find fulfillment and flourishment in the pace that I walk and I'm calling you to walk in. Psalm 127 that we opened up with, the idea that unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. It's this idea of of building a structure, but it relates to our life. We all build our lives. And he's like, unless the Lord builds it with you, what's what's the point? What's it for? It's in vain. If you keep doing and I keep doing all of my plans and all of my projects, and some of those are really good things. Like, Like work is a good thing. Hard work is a good thing. Wanting meaningful relationships is a great thing. Wanting to experience the world that God has created, that's amazing. I am not promoting this idea that we all become like monastic monks and move to the desert and forget everything and just sit with God. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about living lives with intentionality that creates space for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and speak to us. As we walk through these things, verse two in Psalm 127 says, in vain you rise early and stay up late. I think he's echoing thousands of years later, our relationship with streaming services. You stay up late. It's not just work, it's entertainment. It's what we do. Reed Hastings, the Netflix CEO at a, at a conference back in 2017, was doing a, an interview and a Q&A, and, and he started talking about Netflix, and he said, you know, Netflix, we don't really even have competitors. Like, Hulu isn't a competitor. Amazon Prime isn't a competitor. TV isn't really a competitor for us. He says, our number one competitor is sleep. And he goes on and he says, you get a show or a movie that you're really dying to watch, and you end up staying late at night. So we actually compete with sleep and we're winning. And if we're honest, some of us, we know it's true. You've been there like 11 o'clock in bed and you're like, I oh, just one more episode. And you finish that and you're like, oh, it's 1.30. Okay, I got to find out what happened. One more. And before you know, it's like 4 a.m. You're like, one more. The sun's not up yet. I can get like three hours in. We fill our lives with stuff. And the more we fill our lives with stuff, the more, even though it's unintentional, we begin to suffocate the voice of God in our life. Ronald Rollheiser, who's a a Catholic theologian talking about this, says today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it's difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We're distancing ourselves into spiritual oblivion, pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Yet again, going back, Jesus says, come to me. You know, there's uh, something that we're dealing with right now, and it's not new, but because of social media, it's expanded upon, and it's more in our face, and And at our church, we try to talk, as I mentioned before, about creating space to come with your skepticisms and your doubt and to wrestle through faith and and historic Christianity and the Bible. Like, I get all that. We welcome all of those questions. And 
And now the pendulum kind of has swung in one other area where now people that were committed Christians kind of are going through a deconstruction phase. And with every bit of empathy and compassion, and, and I'm not here to demean that, I get it, I understand it, but I have noticed, and I'm not being dogmatic in the sense that everybody that's going through that deals with this, but a lot of the conversations that I've had, I can point back to as we talk through them deconstructing their faith, I say, talk to me about when you were a Christian. Like when you did have a faith, what was your walk with Jesus like? What would the Holy Spirit say to you and what would you do about it? And before you know it, you started to find out that they were doing all of the surface level things of Christianity. I was going to church. I was even serving. I'd even do my devotions at times. I'd replace Drake in the car with Hillsong. Like I was trying to make right choices. But I was like, I, I, get, all, I get all of that, but, but what about like your... What about G, like your walk with Jesus? Like when he speaks to you and he leads you and you, you just sit and just be with him and just be thankful and grateful. And again, not exclusively, but more times than not, you can see on their face that say, I never actually, I never actually had that. And I wonder be, because if we don't have a real relationship with Jesus, then what is this? If we don't have, if we don't have love for a savior, then everything else doesn't really matter. There's an there's a old Jewish legend, and it talks about a merchant, a businessman, who goes to meet with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul at this point is well advanced in years. And he goes to this house, and, and Timothy greets the merchant. And he says, hey, thank you for being here. Paul's excited to meet with you. And he ushers him into the house, and he lets him in. And then Timothy waits on the outside of the house. And, and the story goes that when the merchant shows up and he sees Paul, the first thought he has is, this is Paul, this frail, old, quiet man. Nothing about him in the immediate looks to be impressive or appealing. But this man spends an hour with him, the legend goes, and he comes out of the house and he looks at Timothy and he says, I've never talked to a man that has so much authority, so much depth, so much honesty in his life. Timothy, what is his secret? And Timothy looks at the man and he says, you don't know? You, 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 you didn't pick it up the time that you spent with him? And the merchant says, no, what is it? Is it a great education? Is it the letters that he's written? Like, like, what is it? And Timothy says, no, no, no. He says, Paul is a man in love. He says, no, he's just, he's just in love. Like, come on, it's, it's the apostle Paul. Like miracles have been performed. Like that's what's got to give him his confidence. It's like, he's just in love. That's it. And Timothy says, that's not it. That's everything. We have to love Jesus. Yes, we love his church. Yes, we love the practices and the spiritual disciplines and all the things that we do that have been laid out in scripture. But the core is to really love Jesus. To think about him and our affections grow and our affirmations of who he are means something to us. And it's hard to do that when we feel like we can't breathe. Like life is just too busy. Jesus says, come to me. What are the results of a life that is committed to Jesus, but never actually creates space to come to him? That we verbally say, I believe all, no, I believe all that. I am a Christian in this place. I'm committed. I believe scripture is true. I believe Jesus is the son of God. Yes, I'm there. My faith is there. My next question would be, how often do you and Jesus walk together? What's he saying to you right now in this season? What's he talking to you about? What do you love about Jesus when you think about him? Like, what is it that inspires you? 
Have you, have you come to him and followed him and are walking? Am I walking with him? Michael Zigarelli from Charleston University, the School of Business, did a survey of 20,000 Christians in North America. And he found amongst this survey and this study that busyness is the number one major distraction to Christians' lives with God. The number one thing is the busyness of our lives. In this study, he writes, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. It was the great Corey Ten Boom who said this, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. And sometimes we think that the temptation for the enemy that he throws at us is sin. And we're like, well, I'm really good at not sinning. The question is, are you really good at being still? Are you good at silence? Are you good at just being with Jesus? It was Dr. Carl Jung that said that the devil uh, is a professional in three areas, noise, hurry, and crowds. But if he just keeps us going, keeps us going, keeps us going, it never gives us the opportunity to pause long enough to breathe and to welcome the spirit of God into our life and to listen and to grow in our affections and our affirmations with them. So how do we break a lifestyle of busyness? Let me give you just three things. You could probably add another 20 to these, but, but here's three things on how we could slow down enough, declutter, remove some of the stuff, and experience even brighter days ahead. How do we break a lifestyle of busyness? Number one is this, there has to be a necessary no. We have to embrace the reality that no is one of the most spiritual words that we can use. And saying no to good things because they might not be the right thing. That I have to have necessary no's. We won't get into it, but in Mark chapter uh, one, verses around 32 through 38, there's this moment that happens where Jesus is doing what Jesus does. Healing people, delivering people, teaching people incredible things, and crowds just keep coming by the droves. Goes to bed one night, wakes up the next morning, scripture says, and his disciples come to him and they're like, all right, Jesus, here we go again. Let's do it, baby. And Jesus in the moment says, no, we must leave and go somewhere else. And in that moment, it's an identifier, one, of being able to say no to good things, but also knowing this, that prosperity does not mean permanency. Just because something's going good doesn't mean we always stay there. We don't always keep saying yes to the thing that's been working. It's stopping long enough and saying, God, what is my answer in this moment? And sometimes God's going to say, no. Say no to that thing, embracing the necessary no. One of the mentors in my life told me this years ago when I was talking about just working in ministry and planning a church and pastoring and wanting to do all these things. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget it. He said, Noah, burden will be your gas pedal. Wisdom will be your brakes. Your burden is what's gonna keep you going. Your drive, your desire to see, your, your future planning, your five-year goal, the faith, the gift that God's placed inside of you and me, all of us. We have a burden to just see, to accomplish, to go, to wanna experience. And that is a great God-given thing. Burden will be your gas pedal. Wisdom will be your brakes. And wisdom sometimes embraces and lives out the necessary no. I don't know if this was like you when you were a kid and you learned to ride a bike 
but learning how to break was the last thing I learned. Probably should have been the first. It was like, get going, get going, and then however you end is you fall over in a grass patch somewhere. We'll, we'll get to the breaks later in life. But we create, like I said before, even in a simple analogy like that, we create systems of exhaustion. We were talking about this on the way over, even our educational system. We train kids from a young age, go to school eight hours a day, then take four to five hours of homework home with you. Then when you graduate, go to college. And in college, you're going to go to class, to class, to class, and you get exactly 74 seconds to run from one part to the other part. You can't go to the bathroom at all in between, and then go to there, and then we want you to take overwhelming amounts of reading home with you, figure these things out, get a lot of debt that you're going to have to spend decades working yourself out of. And what we don't realize, as well-meaning as we might be, and I'm not knocking the educational system, I think it's great, but there is something about instilling in children at an early age that this is normative. As much as you can do, pack it in there and not creating space to breathe and to be. There's got to be a necessary no. Number two, we have to learn to be present in the present. We have to learn to be present in the present. My son, he's three now. His name is Bear. And he walked in at about a, a year and a half one morning and I was still in bed. And, and but the fact that he was able to walk into our room means my wife uh, in all of her kindness got up and then allowed my son to walk into the bedroom to wake me up. And as I'm sitting there, he goes to the, the blinds and there was kind of like these wood slats that we had. And he'd, he'd open the blind up and sun would just shine through. And then he'd close it. And he'd open it up and he'd close it. And finally, I go, open my eyes and I look at him and I see him over there, just this little one-year-old, and he just thinks it's the best thing in the world. He's like, looking at me. And he just thinks it's, it's the cutest thing ever. And my first thought was, I need to grab my phone and record this. And then my next thought was, no, you don't. You just need to be present for what this is. And that so many times we miss out on the moments that God brings us because we're so busy wanting to try to save them for later that we don't learn to enjoy them right now. And I remember, if I don't record it, I'm not going to remember how I felt in this moment. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to feel what you feel in this moment for this moment. Be present in the present. The Holy Spirit is speaking now. He's not so focused on your tomorrow. Yes, God is out ahead of us. And again, yes, I love the six-month goal and the five years plan. I love all of that's great. But don't miss out on what God is saying to you right now. In the present, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Number three, contentment is a learned lifestyle. Contentment is a learned lifestyle. Paul has the right to young Timothy. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Wayne Muller goes on and says, we have forgotten what enough feels like. We live in a world seduced by its own unlimited potential because we can always do more. We can always experience more. There's always something that's out there. And all of a sudden, we're just constantly consuming. And I just think we need to learn to be and to just be still. Hurry is more about what's going on inside of you than what's going on around you. Contentment speaks to, to the state of our, our souls, not just like the settling down of our dreams and our passions, that I have to learn to be content in the season that I'm in. And say, God, be with me now. And I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to work for. I'm not going to go after all of these things. Learn it now. So let me give you a quick practical 10 points. These are 10, like you're not going to apply all of them. 
one or two might stick to you. This is where you can never leave this place this morning and say, that guy didn't give me anything I can apply to my life. Here it is right here. Going to go down a quick 10-point list. How to break busy and see brighter days. That's what we're going to say this is. How to break busy and see brighter, brighter days. Number one is this, start a Sabbath. Learn to start a Sabbath. You guys have been going through Pete Scazzaro's and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Talks a lot about that in the book. There's a book by John Mark Comer that came out last year, a Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster. You can find a ton of stuff on learning to start a Sabbath. Number two, implement three a days with social media. What do I mean? You can only check social media three times a day for 10 minutes max every time. Force yourself to say three a days with social media. Number three, go somewhere without your phone. Leave it in the car. Leave it at home. Go somewhere without your phone. You're like, well, what if there's an emergency? Listen, you'll be fine. It'll be okay. Go somewhere without your phone. Number four, don't spend that amount of money this week, whatever amount that was. You're going to go, I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to buy you know, a bunch of coffee. I'm going to do whatever it might be. And it's just a tendency that you live in of constantly getting, 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 spending, spending. Just hit a pause. Just say, you know, I'm not going to spend that this week. Number five, now this isn't for everybody, and you know who you are. If you sweat a lot, this isn't for you. But for some of us, wear the same outfit twice. You're like, that sounds so silly. You know what's silly is you standing in front of your closet for 15 minutes trying to be like, I don't know if I should wear this and that, and this is what I want to wear to work or to school or, or out. Listen, most of us have no idea what you wore yesterday. And by just learning to simplify your decisions, and just saying, I can wear the same outfit twice, it's really not that big of a deal. Number six, take 60 minutes to eat a meal this week. Take a full hour to sit, to enjoy, and we don't have time, but health professionals would say one of the challenges we have is that we don't even chew our food properly. We can't even sit and just enjoy. We're, we're just moving on to the next thing. Take 60 minutes to enjoy a meal. Number seven, theme your days. Maybe you feel like I'm always running around with errands, like I got to go do laundry this day or go to the grocery store this day, and it just seems like it gets out of control. Theme them. Tuesday is grocery day. Wednesday is laundry day. Thursday is Netflix day. Whatever it might be, theme your days. Number eight, be 10 minutes early for everything this week. You'd be surprised how when we show up early, the Holy Spirit tends to meet us there in places like that. Number nine, spend an uninterrupted 30 minutes with your kids if you're a parent. No screen time. If they're young, get on the floor, play with them. 30 minutes uninterrupted. If they're older, sit at the kitchen table, play a game, have a conversation, do that. Number 10, here's the hardest one. Go the speed limit all week. Stop rushing. Where are you trying to get to? Okay, last thing. We're gonna do, um, we good? We got like two minutes. We're good? good? Two minutes. We're gonna do the most awkward thing that you've done all week. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to be like, this is weird. And it's supposed to be weird. We do this at our church. We've done it for a while. And it's still weird. So let's just embrace the awkwardness together. But what we're going to do is we're going to spend two minutes in silence. Two minutes in silence in just a moment. This morning, you've heard the worship team lead us in worship, which has been incredible. Gabe has come up and led us in communion, next steps. It's been amazing. You've heard from me this morning, probably the best teaching that you've heard in the past year. You've heard... <laughs> You've heard from all of us, but listen to me. All of that is good, but pales in comparison to you hearing from the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is just take two minutes and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. How does this apply to my life? And what I'm going to ask you to do is as you sit, just kind of this ancient practice, this posture, to put both of your hands just open and set them on your lap. Just going to live open-handed. 
as though I'm ready to give something to God. I'm gonna give you my cares. I'm gonna give you my schedule. I'm gonna give you my relationships. I'm gonna give you this week. I'm gonna give you the busyness of my life. I'm gonna give. And then I also am living open-handed because when I live like this, I can also receive. Just a physical way as a, as a spiritual expression. And we're gonna spend two minutes just being quiet. So Holy Spirit, we've had our time together today. Believe that you've been speaking, but now we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us individually? Make this uniquely personal. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. So Heavenly Father, as we've uh, gathered this morning, God, we pray that something that we heard will stick, something will resonate, something will help us structure our life. Even this week, bring it to our remembrance. As we just stay in a posture of prayer before we get ready to worship and close, I just wanna encourage somebody, felt this at the, at the nine and just feel like it's worth repeating as praying over this past week and into this weekend for Sunday, I felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was saying, whether it's somebody here or you're at the plaza or tuning in somewhere else and watching, that for you, your busyness has been the thoughts of something that you've lost recently. Maybe, somebody, uh, maybe somebody's passed away and you just can't get it out of your head. Or, or maybe it's a relationship that has ended. I, I, don't, I don't have clarity on it. I just felt like there's a loss that's taken place and you just feel like I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't function because the stuff in my life right now, Noah, is the thoughts about that thing, that person or, or that moment, that situation. And I just, I'm just believing and praying by the Holy Spirit that there's freedom, there's healing, there's renewal, that your joy would spring forth, that there's restoration that takes place and there's a calmness and a peace of mind from this moment forward, this morning leading into this week, that those thoughts begin to deteriorate and you feel space to breathe again. You feel space 
to be again and allow the Holy Spirit to just heal and do the work that he has and wants to do in your life. Father, we thank you for this morning. Let's go ahead and stand and get ready to reflect as we worship together and get ready to go ahead and close out the day. It's been a pleasure and a joy being with you, Hillsong, Kansas City.